G'day and welcome to The Extras. My name is Mike. And I'm Sam. And we are here to answer your fantastic questions that you keep firing at us. And we really Indeed. appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, we've been thinking hard about some of the questions today. They're good ones. Yeah, there's some tricky stuff here, yep. which is great. Sam, for those who missed last Sunday, what did we miss? Yeah, you look, you missed uh, the, the, the next section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, uh, I think some of the trickiest uh, verses in his Sermon on the Mount, but where Jesus... Talks about coming to fulfill the law and the prophets, and we went back to look at uh, what what the expectation was that that um, the law and the prophets set up, which was that one day God would change the hearts of His people, um, wash away their sins, and give them a new heart, and put put His Holy Spirit in them, and that they would then want to obey, um, want to keep God's uh, laws and commands and teachings. And then Jesus um, dives into a bunch of those things. Uh, we looked at one, we looked at uh, murder and anger and looked at our hearts in that. And um, yeah, it's a challenging, challenging section personally, I think, for, um, for the disciple. But a good section because we, we give thanks because God has changed our hearts by his Holy Spirit and we can now obey. Isn't that terrific news? Yeah. That is great news. Okay, let's dive in, mate. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to verse 18 that nothing will pass away from the law until all things have been accomplished. The question is, uh, if Jesus has fulfilled the whole law, then can things pass from it now? Or is the word fulfilled different to the word accomplished? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think that the things uh, to, to note here is that Jesus says, until heaven and earth pass away, um, nothing, nothing's going to disappear from from the law. Not even the smallest letter, the stroke of a pen, kind of like in the, you think of like a serif on a letter. You know those little end bits that you know ancient ancient kind of fonts used to have, like Times New Roman. They got those round bits. None of that's even going to pass away. It's going to stay. Uh, and I take it till the end because I don't think all of God's purposes will be fulfilled until the end. Although Christ on the cross has fulfilled, that is the centerpiece, yes, of, of the fulfillment that God is bringing about, uh, there's still things left undone. Uh, we are, we're still waiting for Christ to return. We're still waiting for the redemption of our bodies. We're still waiting for our sin nature to be completely taken away from us. Um, and so there's still expectation unmet. It's been confirmed and fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, but we're still waiting. And so until that time, uh, it stands. And so, uh, yeah, I take it come the new creation when, when heaven and earth do pass away. Um, yeah, there, there won't be any need at that point for, for the Old Testament witness. And I mean, we, we may look back on it and praise God for his infinite wisdom in the way that he worked things out. But we won't need it uh, because we'll be there. That's pretty cool. That is cool. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Okay, question two. If the Pharisee standard is only 51% to pass the test, cannot be too hard to surpass their righteousness, can it? Yeah. Yeah, it's picking up on a on an illustration that I used on Sunday. If you missed it, um, which was the kind of like the the student who wants to put in the minimum amount of work in order to pass the test, and um, they've technically passed the course, but really their heart wasn't in it. But mm. they have met the the requirement, if that makes sense. Um, and now now maybe I mean an illustration is is only ever just that, just an illustration. Um, uh, but I think the difference between, say, that's perhaps the uni student or the, uh, the, the slack uni student and the Pharisee is that the Pharisee is dressing up that minimum effort to look like, um, to look pretty amazing. And so they have a, a kind of like a veneer on the outside. And yes, they are technically perhaps meeting the, the requirements, but 
they're just dressing up um, unrighteousness, really, and uh, kind of like the the person who doesn't technically have any demerit points on their license, yeah, so they can say, I've got a perfect record, but actually still is very dangerous on the road. They just haven't technically transgressed in front of a, a speed camera. They're not a good driver, but they've got a te- they, they look pretty good. And, and if they were standing there talking about their driving record, you'd be like, wow, they're amazing. They just, um, they've only had technical obedience rather than heartfelt obedience. So now the problem is, that, tech, that that kind of defaulting back to the minimum requirement to just tick in the box, that I think is the default position of the human heart. Uh, I think that's where we normally go to. And so to, to break out of that, I actually think is pretty hard, to be honest. I mean, you could say, oh, I could do 52% or 53% or I could do better. You know, it's just the illustration. Uh, the, the point is that is that God has a problem with you just ticking the box. Um, yes. What he wants is obedience from the heart. And um, I mean, Matthew 24, is it, Mike, uh, where Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs? Yeah, 23. 23. Have a crack there. Um, yeah, he says um, that they... Uh, what's the 27? 20, uh, 23, 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you're like the whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of dead men's bones and every impurity. In the same way... On the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And that's the heart of the Pharisee, and that's the heart of me mm. and, and each of us, really. And, and what the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is introducing here in the Sermon on the Mount, is that that's going to change because God is going to wash the inside, and then He's going to put His Spirit within us, and we're going to want to be obedient. And, uh, and that's a much better way to be than the, than the dressed up uh, <laughs> whitewashed tomb. Whitewashed tomb. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, there's a little phrase that comes up uh, in chapter 5. You have heard it was said. Mm. Comes up a bit. And yeah. uh, you said on Sunday that that refers to the Pharisees. But the question comes in, and there's a few parts to this question. Yeah. Um, in verse 21, it says, said to our ancestors... Mm-hmm. Um, so could this be referring to the Old Testament, but not in a contradictory sense, but in a fulfillment sense? Or is Jesus just explaining what the Old Testament means? Or is he talking about the Pharisees? Yeah, what is yeah, he talking thank about? Thank you. Yes, I made the point on Sunday that this was not Jesus correcting the Old Testament, uh, but rather comparing uh, what the Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees' version of obedience and the disciples' new heart version of obedience are going to look like that. And I, and I made the distinction that when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he tends to use the words, it is written, rather than you have heard it said. Um, just noting a difference there. Um, absolutely, it's fair to say that, this, that um, some of the things that Jesus refers to here are mentioned by the Old Testament. The first one, do not murder, for example, or verse 27, do not commit adultery. Yep. Uh, there's, there's references back to the Old Testament here. However, also in these things, there's a bunch of stuff that's not in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So I think to say that Jesus here is just referring back to the Old Testament is, is not quite right. Because if, uh, I've got a couple of examples for you. Come down to verse 43. Yep. Uh, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yep. Now, the Old Testament nowhere says hate your enemy. No. Uh, or, for example, back in uh, verse 22, um, he says, uh, Whoever says to his brother, Fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin, 
Well, actually, the Sanhedrin is not a kind of Old Testament uh, structure that God sets up. It's something that the Second Temple Jews set up uh, after they no longer have a temple to meet in, um, once they come back after exile. Um, so to be subject to the Sanhedrin is something that really the Old Testament doesn't formally talk about. It's something that exists in Jesus' day because of the Pharisees. And so, and the, the, the issue here is that Jesus is pointing his finger at the Pharisees and saying, yes, you might have begun with God's law, or you might be a derivative from God's law, but you're totally on the wrong page. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your hearts are wrong, and you are just trying to tick boxes to please God rather than actually get to the heart of what God wants for you. And so he tears that down and in its place paints the picture of what uh, kind of... uh, Christian discipleship from the heart is going to look like. So, and that's that's really important to notice because sometimes people can look and sound and uh, smell a little bit like they're kind of Christians. They they say biblical things, they they quote the Bible, but that doesn't make you Christian. Um, and it's the same case here with the Pharisees. Just because there's Old Testament kind of flavors to what they're saying, it's not the Old Testament that they're practicing and trying to uphold. They've got a, a man-made, human, mm. distorted version mm. of the Old Testament. Terrific. Yeah. Helpful. Okay, let's go to verse 22. Jesus says you shouldn't call a brother or sister a fool. Uh, however, mm. uh, Proverbs happily calls people fools. Yep. Um, Paul calls the Galatians, you foolish Galatians. Yeah. And even Jesus calls people fools. Yeah. So, yep. uh, what's the go here? Yep. I mean, that, that's worth noting. So, I mean, it's not just that Paul does it, uh, not just that the other, Jesus himself. So, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, watch out for calling someone a fool or a moron or whatever uh, word it uses there. But then uh, later in the big woes in uh, Matthew 23, uh, he calls the Pharisees and I think even his own disciples there, he, he calls them fools. Um, uh, blind, blind fools. fools. Verse 17, <laughs> he says, blind fools, which, uh, and, and, he, and he goes on to condemn them some more. That's a, yeah, it's an uplifting chapter, but <laughs> if you want to go through and read that. Um, so what's going on there? That, this was the question that I, that I wrestled with the most. Actually, whoever asked this, well done, good question. Because um, uh, I, I guess at its heart, um, in its context at least in the Sermon on the Mount, I think Jesus here is saying that it's not just about whether someone you kill someone, but actually uh, it, what's going on in your heart. And, and in fact, not just your heart, but even in your words. So if you're angry in your heart and then insulting them in your words... In God's view, that is tantamount to murder. Um, and, and it's not just that you haven't killed them yet, but actually you, your your broken personal relationship that you are happy to leave broken, uh, that that's problematic and God wants you to deal with that. Um, mm. So I think that, that's just to deal with the, the, the idea in its context. Yep. Um, then is it okay for Paul or later Jesus to... Uh, to call people fools, I think in the, in the context where both of them, and if you go chase them down, Galatians three one and, and Matthew twenty three seventeen, um, it seems to me that uh, in both those instances, uh, these are people who have uh, abandoned relationship with God um, and in, in place gone for a, a, a sinful, distorted version of religion, mm. um, and it seems that. And perhaps similar to Proverbs, perhaps, Mike, I don't know, you can speak in at this point, um, but there, there seems to be uh, a, a sense in which to to call out someone, and even to be angry about someone's rejection of God and abandonment of the faith, um, 
that that can be perceived as righteous anger and a, a right response to such a significant thing. You, you got any thoughts on that? So, okay, you talk about righteous anger, and yeah. that's, that's helpful because this actually leads into the second part of the question. Because is there a difference between just kind of normal anger mm. and a righteous anger, and, and how you tell the difference? Yeah. Um, and so, within the context of the Sermon on the Mount, the anger doesn't seem to be righteous anger. It's the anger that could lead to murder or just yes. calling someone a name. Yes. That um, means people won't be reconciled. That's the context of verse twenty-four. Yes. Um, whereas a righteous anger is the kind of anger that knows that people are sinning against God, maybe even sinning against other people. Mm. Um, and, and I think you're saying it's okay to be angry because actually even God gets angry at mm. sin. Yes. But it is hard for us as humans to know the difference between are we being righteously anger yes. or, or sinfully anger, and that's where we do need wisdom yes. and help. And perhaps just kind of avoiding particular bits of vocab doesn't quite get to the the heart here in that you might um, very uh, flippantly and rudely call someone a fool yes. and uh, and just do it just to get that off your chest because yes. you're just frustrated and angry with me. You're a fool, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that is what Jesus is uh, pushing up against in, in Matthew 5. Yep. And yet, if you were to sit down with someone and, uh, who you're worried about perhaps because they're, they're wandering away from the faith yes. and uh, they're, they're making decisions that are sinful and and wrong, and not just to let off steam, but you might very gravely speak to them and say, "I am worried that you are being a fool yeah. at this point because you are like Esau, selling your inheritance for a bowl of soup." Yeah. And that that might. And again, what's the difference there? Perhaps I've used the same word, but the difference is the heart. And in one, I am seeking to be angry and just let it out and just let it out on them. But in the other one, I am seeking uh, good for them, and I'm warning them of the the folly of their of their direction. And I take it that's what Jesus is doing. I take it that's what Paul is doing in Galatians. I think that's what the Book of Proverbs is all about. Yes. Trying to keep you uh, with God and make sure that you don't make such a crazy decision to go elsewhere. And maybe in this situation, it is just like with lots of situations, good to have a healthy distrust of yourself. Yep. If you're someone who is prone to anger yep. and you're not sure if it's righteous anger or not, then talk to someone, yeah. um, a trusted Christian friend who can give you some guidance and perspective yep. on this cause, yep. because our hearts are rarely purely yeah. uh, purely pure in this area. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, yes, um, examine your heart. Ask God to help you examine your heart. Ask trusted people to help you examine your heart and if you're in doubt as to whether or not you're going to be uh, doing it out of anger then maybe just hold back and <laughs> yeah. don't don't speak um, and yep. yeah okay next question the law and the prophets we talked a lot about this yes um, is the transfiguration showing that Jesus is witnessed to by the law and prophets yeah. and that they have not passed away uh, i.e. the whole Old Testament so Moses equaling the law, Elijah equaling the prophets, yeah. uh, attesting to Jesus and he's, his fulfillment of them. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Matthew 17, um, a little bit further down the track in Matthew's Gospel, um, this thing called the Transfiguration happens where basically Jesus uh, is uh, up on a mountain with uh, Peter and James and John, the three kind of inner ring disciples, and uh, all of a sudden kind of... Uh, Jesus uh, kind of becomes glorified in their in their sight. His clothes go white. He starts to shine. Uh, it's a kind of an ex experience of the glory of God, perhaps. Um, but 
three things happen. One, um, Moses shows up. Two, Elijah shows up. And then three, God the Father speaks. Mm. And um, Now, it must have been a pretty amazing uh, <laughs> experience. Um, the disciples are terrified. They fall face down. Um, and yet Jesus says, don't be afraid. But then he does say to them, don't say anything until after I've risen from the dead. Uh, which, yeah, so what's going on here is the, is the big question. And I think the, whoever asked the question, that they've, they've, they're onto something here. Yeah. Um, there's three significant voices there. You've got Moses representing the law. You've got Elijah kind of figuratively representing the prophets. And then you've got God, the Father, the one who speaks uh, behind all of it, speaking audibly, saying, this is my son whom I love and I take delight. And actually, I think he says, listen to him. Yes. So they're testifying, saying Jesus is the fulfillment of all of our words and everything we've been looking forward to. So listen to him. Um, and that's a good word to hear as we're listening to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> it would have been great to be there, wouldn't it? Yeah. Hard to imagine the whole scene, but uh, yeah, thank yeah. you. So, yeah, good question. Um, now, just going backwards a little bit to verse 17. Yes. Um, Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill. Yep. Um, now, the question come in, uh, okay, there's parts of the Old Testament law, though, that we don't keep these days. Yep. Um, and so, how do we as Christians now relate to the Old Testament laws in light of the Sermon on the Mount? Yep, thank you. Um, good question. I'm not sure it's what Jesus has in mind here on Matthew 5 particularly he's mm -hmm. talking about the law and the prophets uh, rather than just the law yep. although it's still a good question to ask yes. what about the nature of the law um, for us to keep and, and um, different ways have been kind of put out there as to how to think about that question um, some people want to break I mentioned this on Sunday night break up there's the civil law which is kind of the laws of Israel you know um, then there's the ceremonial law or the sacrificial system and then there's the moral law and some will argue that the the civil and the ceremonial are kind of done with now that national Israel is, is no longer the focus, but the moral law continues. That that might be correct and there might be something in that. Yep. Um, I think perhaps though a better way to think about it is um, there seems to be three things that Jesus does in various bits of the Bible with Old Testament laws. Um, sometimes, um, and they all start with R and that's really neat. And I, and I like that. <laughs> I like it already. Sometimes um, Jesus repudiates the law. Um, that is, he, he rejects it. He casts it off. Um, so for example, Mark 7, um, he uh, talks about food. The context is food laws and Jesus kind of whether or not Jesus' disciples need to keep them. And Mark 7 says, Jesus declared all foods clean. And so all the stuff that the Old Testament law uh, forbade a Jewish person from eating pigs, bacon, all the, all the good stuff. He, Jesus has declared it clean, and uh, so thank you, a, Jesus. Yeah, yeah praise yeah, God. Well the same done. thing happens in the Book of Acts when Peter has a vision, uh, Acts chapter nine, and uh, the vision God appears to him and says, "Get up, kill and eat." And Peter goes, well, "No, I've never done that before." And he goes, "No, you can't call something unclean that I have called clean." And and we're, so there's a, a repudiation of the old law. Um, second thing that can happen is. Um, Sometimes uh, Jesus reinterprets it. Um, so uh, there's, there's sort of something that was there and now Jesus shows you what it was always kind of pointing towards. Okay. Um, and so uh, sometimes I mean, the bits of the Sermon on the Mount that we're doing here, um, some of these commandments, again, he's pointing at the Pharisees' version of them, but there is something to them in the Old Testament. And he's saying, 
it's actually much more from the heart than you realised than just the letter of the law or the command required. So it's not just adultery, it's actually what's going on in your heart with lust and, and that kind of stuff. So there's a, a reinterpretation of the law. Um, other times, though, uh, Jesus kind of just receives the law and, and does what it what it says um and so i'm just trying to think of an example of that off the top of my head um, love your neighbor love your neighbor thank you that that's a good one um and yeah there, there's a sense in which as it was for the israelites so it shall be for, for, for us and, and the new testament kind of you know picks up on you know leviticus calls the um the israelites to be holy and in 1 peter 1 peter will say quoting leviticus be holy as i um as i am holy as god is holy yeah and uh, that, that kind of carries on. The holiness is that marks them is to mark us. Um, and so what's the key in doing it? Well, scripture will, will guide you in that. And so um, should we offer sacrifices at a temple? Well, no, the whole book of Hebrews is designed to show us that now that Christ has made that once for all sacrifice, that the sacrificial system is now done. It's, it's repudiated because it's been replaced and fulfilled in Jesus. Um, and so really, you just want to let the New Testament be your guide. Look at, look at the way the law in any particular area is handled by the New Testament nice. and follow that. And sometimes it'll be repudiated, sometimes it'll be received, and other times it'll be reinterpreted, uh, particularly to point you towards Jesus. Um, and yeah, run with that. Um, that's really helpful, mate. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's very, very helpful. Okay, mate, do you want to tell us a little bit about next week? We're diving into Matthew chapter 6. Yeah, we're doing 6, 1 to 18. And uh, if last week set up to do our righteousness before people so that they would see it and praise God, that brings a major danger, which is that (laughs) you start doing it just for people. Uh, And Jesus is going to give us three areas to to think about uh, where it can be very easy to to uh, pro- get, seek the praise of people rather than the praise of God. And that is a difficult thing to kind of deal with in the Christian life. And, and it's a, a further examination of what's going on in our hearts. And uh, the question for us is, whose praise are you after? Because you'll get it. If you're after the praise of the world, well, then that's what you'll get and that's it. If you're after the praise of God, well, then you can get that too. So long as you're, you're in the kingdom and uh, you're... Your heart has been renewed. You can you can have the praise of God. So you you'll get the praise of the person that you're after. Sounds great, mate. Looking forward to it. Make sure you read Matthew chapter six yeah. in preparation for Sunday. Um, keep reading all of Matthew. Keep praying for Sam and for Gary as they take us through this great part of the word. And also you growth group leaders as as mm. you uh, tackle this with growth group. Totally. Um, hopefully you've seen that. Uh, there, this is action packed. There is so much going on here, and we do need God's help mm. to understand this and for it to penetrate and our to hearts. Keep it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, next week, Mike's going to be away. Happy holidays, mate. <laughs> Enjoy. Thank you, mate. Thank and uh, I'll be, we'll have a special guest, Gary Koo, oh, uh, joining us on the, uh, on the extras next week. So tune in for that. Um, all kinds of uh, wisdom going to be coming at you from Gary. And yeah, looking forward to that. Have a great week, everyone. See all ya. Right. See ya.